So let's consider purpose. Surely purpose is an important feature of our experience. We obviously receive a huge amount of impressions and data and many of these are messages to indicate action. There are lights, there are words, there are commands, there are uh, sights and sounds that invite or repel. We are constantly receiving signals to uh, activate either physically to really get moving at a certain speed or to not go here or to go there or to vote for this or to vote for that yeah. or to purchase this or to purchase that yeah. or to adopt this or to reject that or you know, follow this idea or <laughs> and some of these may be just uh, you know involve physical movement some more potently they involve movement of the heart signals that we receive uh, pretty much constantly are evoking uh, heart movement and heart is a very open system uh, and it's receiving these signals to move this way or to move that way to rise up for this or to turn away from that or to reject and approve mm. we're making a thousand votes a day and how accurate is that system without making any personal statements <laughs> as a species as a society we are very uh, seducible <laughs> uh, people will definitely adopt uh, and search for beliefs and uh, palliatives and comforts. And so we're on the lookout for that which will provide us with security, uh, assurance, uh, safety and happiness. Certainly on the lookout for that. So we're getting signals that are saying it could be this, it could be that, it could be this, what about this? You must have this, you shouldn't have that. That's happening a lot, and you know, as you begin to uh, recognise uh, this this experience, uh, mm, yeah, and realise one does get um, involved with that, and experiences some disappointment and disillusionment on that account, feeling we've been duped or deceived, or and so forth. And we become become cynical, wary, suspicious, perhaps, and even begin to close the heart because we're a bit nervous about our vulnerability, our susceptibility. So we get an activation to close down. It's not good, is it? But at the same time, we do uh, recognise just how uh, how programmed we can become, programmed by 
abstract notions such as time, clock time, calendars, days of the week, national holidays, you know, program, now be happy, now stop being happy, get back to work. <laughs> you know, well. And human beings are definitely able to uh, be programmed into mass destruction of each other and other creatures and even in some ways of themselves. Uh, by which I mean not just the physical destruction, I mean the uh, abandonment of heart, the abandonment of empathy, the abandonment of integrity. And we see this, uh, unfortunately, you know, being modelled in the uh, public arena, we see uh, politics often there's a sense of the abandonment of integrity and honesty by those who are, say they are leading us mm. <laughs> and so this produces an unfortunate sense of cynicism and uh, it's really unpleasant to have to live with that when it does to the heart because then we well what's the point What's the point? Being here, being in this place, being in this situation. And then the spirit drops and uh, we lose purpose. The only purpose is just to sort of get by and we shrink. Something that shrinks. The courage, the possibilities diminish and we give up on our lives to a greater or lesser extent. Unfortunately, this is rather common. So I was just, just, just right now recognizing. I know, well, monks whose parents, uh, father was busy working, working. This is something or the other. Either company closed down, they, they fired him. All his life had been built on this company building this company up and they decided just to close it wasn't because he'd done a bad job they closed down the division so he's redundant and he couldn't manage it so he killed himself yeah. another monk friend of mine his father was um, similar but when he, he finished his working life he didn't know what to do so you know play golf then getting to drinking Drinking alcohol, so alcohol became a fundamental staple of his life. Uh, and then his wife died, and then he didn't have her, so he just basically drank, stopped eating, drank, and killed himself. Basically, lost the will to do anything else, just sit there, drink, watch television, or something. You know? So, mm, it's a sense of the loss of spirit when our purpose is too connected or tethered to conditions that are, you know, they're not only impermanent, they're also, they don't take us very far. 
you know, you can be a great manager of a company, but it's still very superficial, really. And just going out, going out to something abstract called a company or a job, it's abstraction. Or you give your faith to a political party, but it's an abstraction. And because uh, faith is such a, though it's seemingly a kind of a ethereal term, it's a fundamental fact of human nature. Uh, we have something we feel, yes, yes, I can live for this, I can rise to this, it's possible, this will be, I'm interested, faith rises. And if it doesn't, if there's no faith, then you get depression and despair and then give up. So this isn't just some kind of religious belief system. This is a fundamental uh, quality and requirement uh, of the heart, the spirit, something we can feel we can trust in. And that trust is an offering of ourselves to something we feel is good and beautiful, true. That relationship to truth to, is mutual. You know, I aspire to that. I offer myself that. Then this, this brings back to me teaching, encouragement, blessing, support. You know, it's just a mutual thing. And that's the nature of the authentic cosmos. It's mutual. And unfortunately, human beings don't really deeply understand that so we give our faith to things that are not mutual they give back fake messages and fake signals not authentic you understand so you know then a person might think well if it's all just fake switch it off well that's that's pretty deadly So this uh, sattha is the word sattha in in Buddhism, faith. Again, these translations are arbitrary, but sattha is to do with the heart, not the head. It's not a belief system. Mm. So, you know, fundamental gestures, this preparatory, tentative, uh, yeah, take refuge in Buddha. And certainly for myself, this is because, uh, you know, I could recognize many years ago, I'm not, yeah, I'm not getting it. I'm not, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. This isn't really taking me anywhere that great. I need some, something, you know. And then I think certainly, you know, why I became interested in Buddhism because it was pretty much open. Like you can, you can come in, test it out. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. You know, <laughs> not trying to sell anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was very fortunate in uh, that uh, going into Thailand, where you could just go into the monastery, no charge, free, stay for a while, up to you. Keep the precepts. That's it. Well, and then you will be supported. 
So, well, if this is what the convention's about, you know, if there were, you know, if you come in and are prepared to live in integrity, um, we'll support you. That's pretty inspiring. And then you start to look at some of the teaching. And you know, the thing that really, um, apart from all these, you know, promises, nibbana, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, oh God, yeah, I've heard, yeah, I know the propaganda, but. <laughs> but they wanted to rename it was how accurately the Buddha describes suffering. <laughs> well, somebody tells the truth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not getting what you want is suffering. <laughs> Getting what you don't want is suffering. Not being out of frustration of not being able to attain one's wishes is suffering. That nailed it. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. And so listen up, you know. And so then, okay, they say, well, there's a way out of this. Okay. And then it gets more difficult. <laughs> so then you kind of take on something very practical. Well, I don't know about this Nirvana stuff, but. Uh, can you stay with stay with your body? That's not nirvana, but you, it's here, and then you can be in that. Can you enter your body? Really enter it? Huh? You know, because this isn't about sort of you know doing something special with it. It's just about bringing your attention within your experience of a body. You know, not just the sensations. The breathing of it, and realizing actually it's quite slippery, because my attention was so untrained, uncultivated. So okay, I can use this at least to cultivate good attention. That would be good. Whether it goes to nirvana, I don't know. Get my head together would be a good idea. Steady, restrained. So beginning like this, one sense of faith. And then apply yourself to something practical, immediate, you can do. That's the arising of energy. When faith becomes something you're prepared to make a commitment to, and then it's within your reach, maybe just about within your reach. <laughs> you know, I can focus on that. And then, so it's a realistic objective, and you can energize around what you can reach, and you can specifically apply yourself to that and learn from that and see where it goes. So faith gives rise to energy. Energy then is supported by, in this training, mindfulness, which is not about achieving things. Energy is there primarily to deepen and steady your attention and deepen and steady your receptivity. Okay. Again, it don't have to be in nirvana to do that. So then you get a sense of, yeah, and then things, mindfulness begins to have its effects. Because it's a sense in which we have a focal point and we absorb, and you begin to recognize as you practice, certainly with breathing, as you cultivate the absorbing receptivity, oh, there's a lot more to this than I originally thought. It's not just up and down your nose, it's all kinds of things are moving and it's affecting my emotions and my mind states. So you learn and you absorb, so you get samadhi or that inclination, that 
gathering together composure and then you begin to learn a few things you get the discernment or wisdom and these five faith energy mindfulness collectedness and discernment are called the five support faculties and um, these are very significant and uh, they're saying these faculties when they're matured ripen and mature into the deathless Okay, well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> a certain amount of pragmatic skepticism is, is okay, I think. And you're checking it out. Yeah. But the deathless itself, amata, means getting away from the influence of death, getting away from the death of the heart, moving out of the dead end of the cul-de-sac of cynicism, despair, pointlessness, gloom. So we're not looking at immortality as a physical fact, we're looking at what kills the heart, what limits it, what causes it to become depleted, saddened, lacking in vitality, and what encourages it to come into its fullness. So we look at deathless, something like that, and we'll see where it goes. And because the process and the practice itself has an ongoing process that happens by itself, as long as you stay with it, it's likened to a wheel that turns. It has its own purpose. Mm. like a wheel that turns it's turning and these factors deepen and turn within us and they start covering territory they move us out of the realms of uh, agitation, frustration um, distractedness into something clearer more fruitful, more buoyant, poised. Mm. Oh, this is an improvement. So the purpose of our lives is to find the purpose of our lives. Yeah. And for that, um, you know, this phrase, regaining the centre, every wheel needs an axis. The axis doesn't look as important as the wheel, but the axis is vital. Without that, the wheel is just going to go chaotic. Mm. The centre. And as I've been suggesting, um, this this sense of centre is something, again, that's rather like faith itself. It's uh, Or there's an instinctive... Uh, inclination, movement towards having a centre. So we we know who we are, we know where we are, we've got a kind of a place from which we can orient. And the unawakened mind, unawakened heart, generates a centre we call the self-centre. And that's not supposed to be a pejorative term, it's just that's, it's me, it's who I am. 
Um, but if we recognize the, the processes of that, that self moves through, and find they're very strongly influenced by reflexes of uh, uh, searching for uh, fulfillment in sights, sounds, touches, sense data, thoughts, ideas, some sort of stimulation. We can move towards the most useful, pleasing sense of sense contact. The energy is is associated with that particular arousal. This, of course, does hook us up to the sense world. Once you're hooked up to that, then naturally you're going to get also the effects of painful aspects of it or the decay of the sense world or the decay of one's sense faculties Mm. so that's not going to go very far is it and because that uh, sense input is a rather brief uh, satisfaction it requires continual further stimulation so our, our wheel is dependent not upon its own axis but upon the territory that keeps moving it along so the self-centered doesn't really have a center it has a periphery and we orbit around which is external this is a suggesting also that one of the instinctive reflexes that occurs the unawakened unrealized being is that same movement in terms of the personal definition, personal self-image, self-reference, being able to feel successful, approved of, um, amply endowed, physically, psychologically, spiritually, whatever, becoming something. This also is dependent upon constant judgment. (laughs) I think you get the point. (laughs) Is anybody ever good enough? Again, we are moved not by a centre, but by something that's actually quite peripheral. How well I can if you like, put it crudely, perform. Mm. Mm. And there's a sense of history. I was that, and this could be that. Movement in time. And we look further, and of course we see that as we look in that line of time, we see towards the end of it, it's definitely a sloping off. That's not going to go very far, is it? And what does it take to keep the whole thing going? You know. And then so we have that, and then we also have the defence systems, which are to ward off that which I feel frightened of or irritated by. Vibhava, tanha. And so this creates a kind of defensive strategy and again it takes quite a bit of 
complication to keep shutting down things we feel irritated by or annoyed by or fearful of. So get a lot of security systems. Physically, as we can see in the world in general, of course the defence budget is far bigger than the feeding budget. <laughs> you know, health and nourishment take secondary to defence. You can see it being played out in the world in general. And that's a representation of a very fundamental vibhava uh, process that is instinctive. And once these three programs uh, of tanha, thirst, take over, they form or underpin the sense of self. It's not that I create them, they create me. They act as a kind of underpinning. And instinctive moments, they will, they will come in when the, suddenly, you know, when the signal's aroused, they will come in. Mm. So this forms the self-centre. And once in that particular uh, mode, then the self that is created through that, generated through that, through the process of, of bonding to those programs, to those reflexes, to that uh, thirst, bonding to that, we have a process called becoming, we get bonding to it, grasping, bonding to it, and we form with this underpinning. And from that position, then, the person sees things in that line. You know, they're attuned to those signals. What can I have? What do I need to be cautious about, fearful of? How do other people judge me? How do I judge myself? This can be going on subtly in the background of the mind. Am I doing good enough? What do other people think of me? Am I as good as she is? It's all comparing mind. It's all about becoming. Or what would be a nice thing to have? Hmm. Particularly when we go into renunciation practice, we get a little bit twitchy something to kind of nibble or look at or read or <laughs> which is all fine <laughs> then you kind of contemplate that this isn't your choice this isn't something you've chosen it's something that occurs it's a reflex uh-huh. because when you begin to clear away as we're doing some of the personal and domestic world where now we've come out of our homes, out of our normal routines, out of our familiar relationships, out of our, it becomes quite kind of bare in some ways. You know, think, you know, enough is provided, and yet we're out of our own programs. So then the system starts going, you know, coffee. <laughs> My phone. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you must be meditating. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is a reflex. It's not under your control. So you contemplate some of those reflexes and the energies they're doing. 
Uh, you contemplate them rather than taking more personally because I must say again, you don't create them, they underpin part of your psychological structure. Uh, but it's not final, it's not ultimate. And uh, Buddha's second noble truth, the first noble truth gives you the hard news. There is this stuff called dukkha, suffering and stress, and it comes from bonding to certain you know, psychological creations and processes. And there's an, an ending to that. Oh, it can be ended, can be relinquished. Oh. And there's a purpose path that can do that. So just kind of bear this in mind. And so we say, okay, let's acknowledge that. Now rather than taking these personally, take them energetically read the energy, energy of them. <laughs> yeah. For a start, these, these are irrational, they're reflexes, they have a certain feverishness to them. So, what gonna get, you know, and a certain, you know, the neurologies the ner nervous energies start flickering, twitching. Okay, and so we just look at that, we sense that, and you begin to, where does this happen? So if you're coming into your body, you know, and where do these, how does this, ex this experience play out in your body? You may find yourself coming up to the eyes, or the mouth, or the fingers, and closing down something hardening in defense, you know, shrinking, uh, bristling, irritation, becoming bristly, uh, and then contemplating these. And through practices, being able to move your attention around in, in your energy body to places where the senses of, there's a release here. You know, this definitely this experience of inflammation or hardening or agitation, yeah, that's true. And if I come with an out-breath, acknowledging that signal, and breathing out, taking the out-breath out through the palms of my hands, the soles of my feet, the skin, space around me, oh, the energy dissipates. No longer so bonded, contained by it. So in this, there's no guilt, regret, shame, taking it personally, personal analysis. You shouldn't be like this. After all these years, you should be this. There's just a sense of handling the energy and learning how to contact energy of thirst and the release of that. It's just practicing like this. And this is this, the whole trajectory of uh, the Buddha's teaching. Well, it's a big statement, but a very, very strong line in it is called the negative way. 
It means it's about the not or the abandonment of. So it's, it's about the abandonment of craving, of thirst. It's a, you know, the abandonment of fear, the relinquishment of aversion. So there's a sense of, what does that mean? It means there's an energetic release of these forms, of these experiences. Although that may not be so uh, glamorous, it's actually realistic. Because certainly I'd like to be totally endowed with loving kindness, confidence, supreme wisdom. Yeah, sure. But what is probably more useful is to learn to let go of some of my ignorance, <laughs> or some of the ignorance, <laughs> and craving, and, can- and crankiness, <laughs> cynicism. <laughs> deal with that first of all and uh, yeah. because in the self position that's 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 empirical that's pragmatic that's you know, that's you know because that's that's where we're at and through that the new that you kind of you release that and the system starts to shift and we find a center which is quiet and steady and cool and does form an axis and they call it presence if you like presence presence which is absence Fullism is full of paradoxes it's the absence of greed the absence of hatred the absence of delusion the absence of conceit the absence of views the absence of opinions the absence of finality the absence of expectation the absence of despair the absence of promises, the absence of failure. It's <laughs> yeah. the absence of clinging. And it's the presence of presence. Mm. And again, tentative, we might say maybe that presence, there's no death in that. doesn't carry that mark doesn't carry the mark of decay doesn't carry the mark of this will fade out it doesn't move in time it's not dependent upon my personality to keep it going it doesn't seek to be compared with anything else it doesn't aim to progress anywhere it's not better than anybody else's (laughs) Because it's not in the domain of self. It's in the center of the cosmos. The center of conditioned reality. And it's empty, open, balanced. And this comes through the relinquishment of craving. Mm. So we were saying that that center is established or begins to form and grow then the processes that have brought us there have helped indicate the way have invited us there through some of the hard knocks and some of the encouragements come this way put that aside come this way those processes have become our path path to that center and there's a sense of purpose 
the purpose is not about going forward, it's about going center. If we go to the center, we find the center, that presence. From that place, we're relating to conditioned reality as it comes in, as sights and sounds and options and people and age and death and joy and complexities arise, that center then begins to turn the wheel. How do we process in this life? And it becomes a learning process, managing, learning and strengthening our hold, our, if you like, our track on this earth in our life. The Buddha once um, summarized right purpose, samasankapa, as the elimination or the the movement away from the quality of uh, violence, strong term, harming, brutality, forcefulness, domineering, that which seeks to be bigger, stronger, push against other things, if necessary, to beat them down. Yeah. And which we, as human beings, can see we're the most domineering <laughs> creatures ever. You know, we make dinosaurs look like kitty cats compared with us. <laughs> And we've, we've kind of followed that program to the point where there's practically not many other creatures left, apart from those who are slaves to us. And then, of course, we do it to other humans, and then we do it to ourselves. You can have a domineering, you should be this way, stop being that way, don't be like this, cut that out, push through this, attitudes. Uh, as being, this is the way of progress. This is the way of progress. And that's, you know, that's the message. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, we have to do this, but this is the way we progress to a better future. We look at the results of that. Not just the results, but the particular energy pattern of that forcefulness, the hardening up. Yeah. And a relationship is one of supremacy. Or there's going to be competition, supremacy, and then pushing against. You get a feeling for the emotions, whatever the mythologies or the explanations are, you feel the energy of that. You know? What, it's, what it does to your body, to your heart, Is this something you can really feel this is for your welfare and other people's welfare is going to take you to somewhere peaceful? No. So to sense whenever that arises, we get frustrated, we think just push through that. She's a bit of a pain. Just shut her up. <laughs> you know, 
he's misbehaving. <laughs> Beat him down. <laughs> I'm misbehaving. <laughs> and uh, no, just stop doing that. <laughs> uh, we may feel helpless and powerless. And that's often the case when we come out of one set of uh, underlying programs, we feel disoriented. Well, you know. And that's just, just the place where we learn patience. And, it's, and we just come to, you know, that says, well, you can keep your own energy intact. Okay, maybe you can't make her be other than she is. Maybe you can't get rid of that unpleasant obstacle, but you can keep your energy body intact and steady and strong and comfortable. Maybe this is, this is doable, manageable, and when is that? Actually, I don't mind if you're like that. That's your problem <laughs> or your issue. I don't feel I have to kind of force everything to be my way because I don't like to have to, don't want to do that. And I feel quite comfortable. My energy body is intact, comfortable. That's what I'm going to live with. That's what I'm going to die with. The rest of it, some things go your way, sometimes they don't. And we don't lose contact with what's deathless. Presence, not subject to decay. And naturally this is for our own welfare. And you're going to find that uh, the quality of that presence has its own influence on other people and how you live your life. Because in that place you look around you think, suddenly you see things rather differently. Not, he's weird, I'm trying to shave him up, but that's interesting. <laughs> he does it like that. Oh. Why don't ask, why is it like that for you? It's taking interest. You look around the, the garden, you don't see weeds, you just see different kinds of plants. You don't see annoying bugs, you just see a wonderful variety of wildlife. Some of them quite interested in meeting you, crawling up your nose. <laughs> okay, how do we deal with this? <laughs> And so learning cooperation is a much more interesting, interesting, flexible process. It's quite, quite fun if you're not expecting to succeed. Then you quite enjoy, quite enjoy the play of it. Mm. So we find the abandonment of that makes our life richer, more open. Yeah. This is another one that uh, reflects, he could understand another sense of purpose, which is about um, closing, closing the heart. It means I don't care. It's a sense of withdrawal of empathy. We don't have any empathy. So this pretty much goes along with brutality, but it's a closure of the heart. Since, you know, you are just, I don't see you, 
I don't know you, I don't feel for you. Yeah. And then it turns the other way. I don't see or feel for myself. Mm. I close down. And this is also something that, you know, it takes over. When life gets difficult, I've heard people say, I just want to not have to feel anything anymore. I just want the heart to die. I don't want to have to feel anything. Because I'm always so averse to myself, feeling there's something wrong with me, I just want to just not experience anything at all. It's a complete close down. To, I would call it, I want to be empty. <laughs> this kind of you know, non-feeling. And so, you know, this is a defense system to not have to sense the uncomfortable, the ambiguous, the confusing. It takes us to a sort of a, a blank state, unfeeling state. All the point of this is we do live in a mutual cosmos, so we may think, it may seem it's doing it to others, but it's always going to bounce back upon ourselves. Because that's the nature of the cosmos, it's mutual. <laughs> you know, you may think you're separate from it, but actually what you put out to others is what you're going to put back to yourself. It's going to come bouncing back. So this is where you can recognize it. Uh-huh. There's that closing to myself. Not able to meet my fear or my sense of helplessness with compassion. I just shut it off. I don't like that. Instead we begin to acknowledge our rather ungratifying aspects. Okay. Compassion. Which is not aimed at changing you. It's not asking you to change. It's change the relationship. And that things take their natural course. So the, the other purpose, which is perhaps obvious, but it's that sense of acknowledging the, the power of sense contact to arouse tanha, craving, thirst. And then we're turning down the interest in that. It takes me out, makes my life peripheral. Instead, turn it towards heart, internal. So that's a reference point. It doesn't mean we completely shut off. It means we relate to the sense world from a place of heartfulness, which is enjoyment of it, wonder at it, curiosity about it. Um, careful uh, so we don't get greedy fascinated light, living lightly living lightly uh, that living lightly means you're extremely flexible as to where you live what situation you're in you become extremely flexible in, the, in this physical world you know mm. Adaptable gives you a great deal of freedom. So these are our three purposes. 
purpose of renunciation, the purpose of non-violence, the purpose of non-cruelty. And the elimination or the acknowledgement of these uh, abandonments uh, allows the center to shift to presence. So we don't have to get there. It happens if we abandon that which takes us out. And this is the beautiful thing, recognizing that the true sense is actually quite natural. But you know, through this contraction of tanha, we've kind of gone off track. And if you release that, which takes you off track, the jitter swings back into the true center. So let's take some time for direct practice. <coughs> 